You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Drinking with Authors, the podcast. I'm your host, Erica Lance. My co-host today is the amazing C.R. Rice. And our guest today is Bernadette Walsh. Okay, so... Please like and subscribe. Here's a couple things I'm adding in. I, I made myself. I was about to say, wait a second. Yeah. Please like and subscribe. If you leave a review, we would love you. We love reviews. It's how people find us. So please do that. Um, I do want to thank all of our listeners. And if you're an author out there and would like to be on the show, email us at drinkingwithauthors at gmail.com. And if you're just a listener and want us to interview your favorite author, send us who you'd like us to talk to. We will hunt them down like a dog and get them on this podcast. We get all of you. So anyway, okay, and we'd like to thank our sponsors, Come Brothers Spirits, DWA10 is our coupon code, and I'm having a little of their whiskey on my drink, so I'll describe what I'm drinking. I decided in my epic Star Wars mug, I'm doing a hot toddy, because believe it or not, Again. yes, a hot toddy. They're very nice, and I was honestly taking a daytime nap just a little while ago so i need it to clear my vocals but i have skunk brother spirit whiskey in here a hot toddy is warm water lemon honey and um whiskey so that's that's what i'm drinking sierra what are you drinking i am on back on my vodka and green tea kick because i'm trying to be healthy you know i i i, I let it slide for a bit so i gotta get healthy again I like it. I like it. Vodka, green tea. Many would say that was healthy. And then many doctors would ask us not to say that on the air. So (laughs) what are you drinking? Oh, I'm so boring. I'm having a seltzer, but it makes, we can pretend it's a beer because it makes a nice little sound. So let me do it. That sounds a little more exciting, right? No, seltzers are good too. What flavor seltzer are we having? It's a mandarin orange. So, and you know what's See, so weird about seltzer? Like, oh, I think a lot of people started drinking it during the pandemic. I'd always drank seltzer, and now you can't like sometimes find it in the supermarket. So, I think it tastes like bad water. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even do tonic water. Like Corey loves it. I can't. No, do it. I will say honestly, in my drinking with author swag, you'll get some of this for today. I am drinking uh, lime seltzer water in there. You see me? Look how citrusy I am today. Yes, I see you. <laughs> oh, that's hot. Okay. Bernadette, can you tell the audience that may not know what you write? Well, I write a little bit of everything. Um, I know that the publishing industry says you should pick a genre and stick with it. And um, I guess I'm, my inner rebel has expressed itself in my writing career because I really have hopped around genres. I started out writing, um, I wrote a contemporary romance. This was my first book um, called Gold Coast Wives. And it was a cute, fun, you know, my first attempt at writing. Uh, and it was very light and um, a lot of fun. And it was actually originally published by Lyrical Press, which is now part of Kensington. And, um, and I thought that's where my sweet spot was going to be. But then I, um, I kind of took a turn and I always loved like witches and vampires. So I said, well, why don't I try a paranormal romance? So I wrote a four book um, paranormal rom- romance called The Devlin Witch. And that was also originally uh, published by Lyrical Press, but I, I've since um, gotten my rights back. But then um, I took another turn in my writing journey and I started doing more women's fiction. And that's really been, for the most part, my sweet spot. I've done primarily women's fiction. One of my books here is called Johnny Be Good. Um, my latest release was called Safe Distance, and it was based on the pandemic. Um, a woman, um, who, really two families on Long Island, I'm from Long Island, who live in a cul-de-sac 
And because of the pandemic, and I made my pandemic was actually much worse than the real pandemic because I was writing it during the pandemic, kind of like when we didn't know where it was going to go. So my, my imagination ran wild. So it was a little more dramatic than our fairly dramatic uh, pandemic. But that was a story um, about, it was a story about friendship, frenemies, um, two families, how they, you know, intertwined and there's some some uh, some love with the wrong people going on. Um, and that was the latest book I, I wrote. But um, I have done a couple more um, paranormal romances as well. I do like women's fiction. I, 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 tend to, um, I tend to address kind of meaty topics and sometimes they're very draining afterwards. So I kind of do my heavy duty women's fiction and then to kind of cleanse my palate, I'll do like a romance uh, or a paranormal novella. So that's what been is my women's fiction. Journey. I'm sorry. What is women's fiction? Women's fiction can be anything you want it to be, right? Um, I think the the primary uh, definition is that it's a, about uh, the protagonist is usually a woman, and it's about the woman's journey. So there's some women's fiction that's a little closer to the contemporary romance, and then there's some where there's no romance. Um, and, you know, so I, I think it, it runs the gamut. Like, I think uh, Jodi Picoult, I think, would be considered women's fiction. Um, Kristen Higgins has now moved into the women's fiction arena. Now, that makes so Bernadette, when did you first, so when did your first book come out, the very first one? Uh, 2010. Okay, and that was traditionally published, right? Yes, yes. That was with okay. Lyrical Press that is now part of Kensington. So I was with Kensington for a bit. Um, does it come with... God, that makes sense. Yeah, your background is done there. CR. <laughs> anyway. Oh, it's okay. So um, then you went... Did, but now you said you got your rights back. Are you self-published? Yes. Now I'm self-published. Um, okay. I think I kind of, um, I drank the Kool-Aid where it came to self-publishing. Um, so I got my rights back and, you know, maybe that was the best decision. Maybe it wasn't. I'm a little bit of a control freak. So I think it kind of worked with me. And so this way I could like, I change my covers. I can do different kinds of promotion. And so um, I'm still thinking about doing uh traditional publishing but I think um I think what hurts me a little bit is that I I write what's passionate and what I'm really interested in at the time and I don't really stick with the genre as I said so right now I'm self-publishing and it's working out for me no I think that's great there's a lot of people that go um a traditionally published route I'm doing quotations if you're watching YouTube you see that but um I think it ends up that some people for that reason or they get in bad situations where it's not a partnership with the publishing company right. to do what they want. So you end up stuck with certain things. And also so a lot of times they want you to stay in a lane. They want you to pick a lane and they want you to stay in a lane. And more and more, I think people aren't necessarily staying in a lane. And I don't think you have to. I think there are certain, um, for instance, uh, you can't publish erotica books under the same name you publish any kind of children's book, right? Yes, that would be bad. Because, you know, if you if the uh, parental units give the child access and go, oh, you can buy any of Bernadette's books, it's fine. And, you know, you got a bunch of YA stuff. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh. sexy man. And then they're like, what is this? And then that's when they have a problem with it. But other than that, I think that more and more it's being opened up because of self-publishing and, and publishers that are like, no, if you don't have to stay in a box, you're good. You can get out of that box. Um, what made you decide to write in 2010 though? What made you go, you know what, I'm going to do this now. Well, I talked about writing, I think my whole life, but I never did it. You know, I, I always felt like I didn't have the time um, in my day job. I'm a lawyer. So that obviously in my, you know, twenties and early thirties, I was very, very focused on my education and then that career. And so um, I waited until I got married. I had a small child. So I had a small child, was married, was working, had absolutely no time. And, but I was, I was coming, I was creeping up on 40 and I kind of had one of these, you know, if not now, when? And so my husband actually bought me a computer and he said, look, this is just your writing computer. You don't associate it with work, just do it just do it. And so I, um, of course, being a lawyer, I decided to do some research. 
And so I read everything I could about writing a book. And then I hooked up with a local writing group um, called the Long Island Romance Writers. And so I had, that's why I think I started off in the romance genre, because that's kind of where I learned the nuts and bolts of, of writing. And then I did get that publishing contract. And, you know, I am actually very, very grateful to that publishing contract, because I think it would have been really hard to just come out of the box and do self-publishing, especially at that time, because I think around 2010-ish, it was just really starting to, to heat up. So I had the benefit of working with um, an editor, learning how, you know, how they designed, I saw how they designed covers. And so I really did learn an awful lot from that, from that experience. So, um, you know, I, as I said, I really had no time to write. So but I would find, I would carve out little bits of my day. And I, had a, I live on Long Island and I work in New York City. So I had a long commute. So a lot of times I would just be writing on, I'd ride on the train. I'd write when I was dropping my daughter off to her little dance class. Um, every, anytime I could find time to write, I did. And so, you know, I didn't have big blocks of time, but I would add a little page and eventually it turned into a book. And then, you know, now I am 12 books, 12 books in. That is odd. Well, you're a lawyer, so you were writing a lot anyway. Lots of words. Being a lawyer, you get lots of words you get to use with all the things that you have to write. Um, that is really, I think that's really interesting. Um, when did you decide sort of, so you're, you do the room, you're starting, and then you go, you know what, I'm going to do this different. When that decision came into place, was it more just what you're inspired by and you're like, this is what the next thing is on my palate that I want to eat? That's exactly it, because I think you learn with each book. And so, and you learn who you are in each book. And um, I, I think I just heard, you know, they say they talk about your voice, right? Your author voice. And I'm like, you know, people are, I'm always like, what is that? When I was a writer, I was like, what does, I mean, when I was just a reader, what does that mean? But I think I grew into my, my writer voice. And um, it's funny, people, a lot of people say what you just said was like, oh, you're a lawyer, so you must do, that must have helped you in terms of um, becoming a writer. Uh, and it's true, I am very, you know, words are, are my, in my toolbox, but I almost had to learn how not to write like a lawyer. So for example, I, when I first started writing, my first attempt was about as exciting as a contract. Like it was beyond dry. It was just horrible. And I was like, what am I doing wrong? But I think because when I'm a lawyer, I'm, you know, I'm distanced, it's, you know, from my subject matter. And so I almost needed to kind of dive into the character. So that's why it's so that influenced my writing style, because I only write from the first person. And it's because I needed to be in the character and kind of break down, you know, everything I had spent all that money learning in law school. So, um, so that's, you know, like I said, it, it helped. I think what helped me in from being a lawyer was like a lot of the editing. Like I do a lot of my own editing because it, that's, you know, I, I could have a little distance from it and it's more my day-to-day -day job. But, um, but I think in terms of the creative part of it, you know, being a lawyer didn't help. It was a hindrance. I I think it helps you being able to have speed of typing yes, and you know, to do a word count. I say that because I have friends that are lawyers and stuff. And when they, you know, they're always like, I'm going to do fiction. I'm like, why don't we start with a short story, my friend, and see if you can use adjectives and adverbs to describe something. <laughs> because yeah, you don't. <laughs> and it's really funny to see because if they do tend to like the first round, no matter how creative the story is, comes out sounding like, you know, they just wrote a contract or just wrote a, you know, a motion. And I'm like, this is cool. Not compelling stuff the way you're used to like, this is a compelling motion. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And actually my first, cause everyone, you know, their first book is usually somewhat auto self autobiographical. And so um, Gold Coast Wives, which was my first book was about a woman who was in her 40s and that's how old I was at the time and um, she was working in a law firm and um, I had a chapter or two about her summer associate days you know how she became a lawyer and my editor at the time was just like you know this is very well written but the reality is um, no one cares about your summer associate experience no one cares like that's not part of your story what is your story about I was like oh it's about this woman who divorced her husband and finds love and she goes okay so like you know talking to her secretary or doing whatever right writing a motion that's not the part of the story so People I actually want to know how to do that <laughs> they want to know how she fell in love yeah that would be hard yeah. 
yeah. unless the person she fell in love with was part of her summer internship and then yes. gets rekindled, then you can bring all that stuff back in. Yes. But it has to move the story forward. Nobody cares if you had Absolutely. coffee every day during your summer internship. Yeah. You know? No, that's it, it's really interesting. So what um, you know, what surprised you when you first got published? Like what surprised you then versus when you self-published, what surprised you? Well, I not think anticipating I- where you were like, Wow, I didn't see this one coming. <laughs> um, I actually got published pretty quickly. And probably um, it was really, I think, maybe a little too early in, in my career because usually you hear about people who write a book and then they like stick it in a drawer and they never like look at it again because it was like their learning experience. But my learning experience actually got published. It was my first book. And so I think that's part of the reason why I hopped around genres because although I was over 40, I was in some ways a very immature writer. I just started on that path. So um, so. So I kind of didn't have like a lot of expectations other than I thought there would be more um, promotion from the writer, from the publisher's part. And so I had visions of, you know, doing, um, you know, doing, doing writing, you know, signing autographs and doing things like that. And they're really, you know, it was a small publisher and, you know, if they had a budget, they weren't giving it to me. So they did a couple of ads, but there really wasn't a lot done. And so I think that's part of the reason why I wound up taking my rights back. Um, because I, you know, I felt like I just didn't have any control and I would have been willing to give up control if the, somebody else was taking the wheel, but no one was taking the wheel. It felt like, so, um, so I think that was one thing I learned. Like I said, the positive was I learned about how a book was put together, um, by watching what the editor did. But, um, you know, I think in terms of promotion, there was just nothing there. Yeah, and I think that's something, it's good you brought that up because that is true regardless. It's only like the top for the publishing company, couple percent um, uh, that have that promotion granted to them. Mm -hmm. And sometimes even when it's granted, it's still not enough. Like the number one way books are found, people don't realize this. And this statistic has been true for, I think going on like 20 years now, but it was looked at six years ago, recently renewed, and it is word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Word of mouth is the number one way people find books. The second way is author platform, right? And so we're not talking about Facebook ads. That's not in the top two reasons they find it. Like word of mouth and author platform are well over 50% of how people find books. So those two things are required no matter whether or not you have them doing a bunch of marketing for you as well because it's almost like you have to hit the ground level to do that sort of thing, you know, which I'm mm-hmm. sure you've discovered in self-publishing as well. You know, I don't want anyone to ever think that getting a publishing contract means you don't have to do all that work. Cause you, Oh no, absolutely. You have to do a lot. You have to do a lot. And again, I, I think I got published kind of quickly. So I, um, I did, I, you know, I was a little unprepared for that. Um, I think the other thing I was unprepared for was, you know, when you can't write, because I wrote a couple of books very, very quickly. And somebody said, oh, you are, are you worried about like writer's block? And I'm like, oh, no, not at all. I can just whip these out. Um, and so then, and then the um, day came <laughs> then it all ended. Yeah, yeah, dreaded. Yes. Well, actually, my writer's block, I had a, a little bit, you know, again, when my life got a little busy, unfortunately, my writing had to, to take a back seat. But when I was back in 2016, I, um, I was actually in a car accident and um, I had actually had to stop working for a while. I had a very bad um, concussion. And so um, and I, you know, the, the neurologist said, well, you know, probably most you're, you know, you'll probably be fine. And most of everything will come back within six months. And I said, well, what happens after six months? He's like, well, the brain's a weird thing. Like it probably won't come back after that. Some people lose abilities to do things. I was like, oh, okay. So the six months went back. I got back to work. I felt like, you know, I was very functional, but guess what I couldn't do? I couldn't write. I could not write at all. It was like that piece in my brain was dead. And I try, everything was very wooden. And I finally, I was like, okay, well, I guess maybe this part of my life is over. And probably about, you know, another six months went by and finally it 
it was something was happening back there and I started writing and it took me two years to write um, this book, Johnny Be Good. But this was, a, it, in the, the silver lining in that story is, I felt like for whatever reason, I broke through a wall and I feel like my, my writing really went to a different level. It went deeper. I, I tackled you know, some really, really difficult um, topics in this book um, about alcoholism. And it was really, it was a very, very personal book. Um, so, you know, so anyway, I, I don't know how I got on this, but that was, so I, since then I actually have not had writer's block again. I always am working on something. Um, and I think the, another civil lining is that now I really treasure my writing ability and treasure that part of my life because I, you know, I felt I, that, that year when I couldn't write, I was like, I was missing a limb. You know what I mean? I was really missing an important part of myself. So. That is very, that is a very cool triumphant story. That is such an awesome story. That's very cool. It's interesting too, because you said writer's block. And I think a lot of, you know, when I used to think of writer's block many moons ago, I thought like you'd sit there and nothing would come to mind and you'd be looking at a blank paper for a long time. And I think writer's block takes different forms. It doesn't mean that you can't necessarily put words on a page. It just is what is the quality and quantity of said words and what is the ideas and how many things need to go into a story graveyard because whatever you're thinking of is like garbage. It's yes. just, and not anybody take offense garbage, but we all have some ideas. Everybody that are has a shitty idea, bad <laughs> concept, something that is starts out great and then just doesn't falls flat, doesn't go anywhere. Like you're like, well, that was cool. I'm glad I spent a bunch of time writing that. Yeah. You get to um, like the 10,000 word mark, which is, that's when you really know, is it going to fly or is it going to just flop? And so, yeah, no, I hear you. It's, um, but like I said, that, so that was actually a, a nice story. So I think, you know, look, I, I think to, to really be a writer is you have to love what you're doing. Right. And you know, whether you find, and where I've come to is like, I'm very type A in every area of my life. I've tried very hard not to be that type A in my writing world, because I don't want to lose the joy in my writing. So, you know, I'm always looking for an audience. I, you know, I do shows like this. I actually, at one point had my own podcast uh, called Nice Girls Reading Naughty Books, where I was able to connect with people. So I definitely do the, you know, I, I try and find writers, uh, I mean, readers rather, but um, I always want to keep the joy in my writing. And, I, and, and my goal is always, how can my next book be better? How can I explore a new part of myself um, as opposed to how can I get more downloads? Oh, I love that. I love that. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Drinking With Authors. Okay. What will you do when your child asks? What were Saturday morning cartoons? What were Saturday morning cartoons? What's wrong with you? Or will you handle it the right way? Sit down, baby girl. Let me introduce you to my friend, Mark McRae. Join Dan Clink and I on the Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast as we take a unique behind-the-scenes look at the history and dynamics of animation with plenty of laughs along the way. The Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast is a proud member of the ESO Network. Our sponsor today on Drinking with Authors is Skunk Brothers Spirits. Skunk Brothers Spirits was started by a family of disabled veterans focused on locally sourced quality distilled spirits. Their name was inspired by their pops, who was nicknamed Skunk. Skunk's father was a moonshiner in Oregon back when it wasn't exactly legal. Now the brothers are taking the family business legal with their Washington-based team using their grandfather's Prohibition-era moonshine recipe to bring small batch spirits to the gorge and beyond. From the moonshine corn whiskey to the apple pie brandy, all of their spirits are handmade in Washington. Believing they already have the best ingredients in the local community, they work with local farmers and suppliers to produce the highest quality spirits from scratch. You can find them on Facebook at Skunk Brothers and on Twitter at Skunk Bros Inc. Or visit their site www.skunkbrotherspirits.com and use coupon code DWA10 at checkout to read 10% off your order. You can always also ask your local retailer to start stocking Skunk Brother Spirits. Regardless of how you get your hands on a bottle or two, grab a drink and don't forget to get skunked. 
we're back. I want to talk about, um, you know, we were talking a little bit before we took a break about success. By talking a little bit, you mentioned one thing about it. Um, so how do you measure success? Like to you, what was your like sort of after the first book, this I considered it successful because of A, that sort of thing. Well, I'm so, I certainly have not reached the level of commercial success as I would like. Um, and, you know, I've written some, I think, really good books. Um, I think, you know, hopefully they will find an audience. I know that, you know, I, I, the biggest thrill I get is when I get somebody who writes me um, an email and tells me how much they love my book. I mean, that's amazing to me because people have, it's not only a money thing, but it's time, right? Books compete with all kinds of different you know, pieces of time from people, right? There's, there's Netflix, there's other books, there's, you know, their life, there's lots of things that people can do. And so the fact that they devote a couple of hours to kind of enter my fictional world is a blast. And I, I'm always very, very grateful for that. So I, I measure success, again, how do I feel my writing is progressing? Am I always challenging myself? Am I always moving forward? I am not interested in writing formula books, the same thing, you know, boy meets girl and then it's over or, you know, boy kills girl and then it's over. Like I really do, I, I try and inhabit my characters. I try and write what is true to me. And, um, and that's my, my measure of success at this point in my life. I think that's great. I like the, the boy. It's such a dramatic change. I, I like the boy kills. Boy needs girl, one. falls in love, or Let's boy needs girl like kills her. Gloss over the boy kills girl one. Whatever. Yeah, but um, so do you think that um, uh, when okay, well, I just got ahead of myself with my. I maybe put a lot of whiskey in that particular cup. I'm not gonna lie about that um because brother spirits is good i didn't use their single age barrel just so anyone who's listening doesn't throw up at me um my question is uh when you first of all do you read your reviews type a personality do you read your reviews oh i do uh, i and i don't believe anyone who says that they don't i of course read them yes absolutely so how has that been for you when like when you got your first review what was that like um well, it's great. I, I, and I did when I first um, when I first got back my rights, I did a lot of blog tours. And at that time, like you'd get a lot of reviews. I think now it's a little harder to get some of those reviews. Um, but um, so it's great when you when so you could tell from the review that somebody really got what you were trying to say. What I find interesting is that sometimes even the good reviews, they'll focus on something that I didn't even mean at all. Like um, my book. Um, Again, The Devlin Witch, which is my sexy romance book, um, paranormal romance. My books were very much, this book is very much about the women. Like there's sex and there's, you know, things happening there. But the focus is really on these family of witches and all the, you know, kick-ass things that they do. And so I read one review and they were like, oh, I really loved Bobby. Like Bobby was so sweet and he was so this and he was so that. Bobby is barely in the book. Like he gets killed off pretty quick. And I'm like... <laughs> What? <laughs> she's, she's like, it was like almost like she was projecting like what this the person who wrote the review was projecting everything they want in a man onto Bobby because like I didn't put it in the page so that was kind of fun I guess I mean I'm glad it, she had a positive you know experience um well, I, I talk about that though because I I had a character in one of my books that literally was like a barista and the person came up and was like, oh my God, I love this person, blah, blah, blah. And I, you know, of course not to them was like, who? And it was a plot device. I'm sure Bobby yeah. was a plot device, right? Like yeah. you need this, the plot device has to have a name moving on. And then you're like, what? And they're like, are you going to do Ross story? And I'm like, I literally had to go control F when I got home to go, who the hell is this? Who the this hell character? was this? <laughs> and I, you know, of course, to the fan, I'm like, oh yeah, no, I always look at, you know, when my next angle is, blah, blah. Who the fuck are they talking about? What is happening? I know, I know. It's wild. It's wild. Um, I've gotten some reviews. I'm trying to think of some of the bad reviews. So I did get one book, um, and again, it was this book. Um, 
which is a very funky book, but it's again, like none of my book, it doesn't really fit within a romance, right? I mean, I think that's the category I originally picked for it, but it's really women's fiction with witches, right? And so, um, so I did get, um, and it's, it's pretty deep, like, you know, it talks about like part of its sentence, 9-11, like there's, there's some deep stuff there. That so cover, my friend, that what? cover, definitely put that cover on that book, puts it in a, in a certain little realm there. Yeah, so actually, my, my if you look at the electronic version, because I'm always messing around with my covers, it's I can't I made it more like, you know, probably like it really is this probably oversells a little bit. But um, yeah, so one woman said it was the worst book she ever wrote she ever read. Um, and then but then you look at the next one, they're like, Oh, my God, this is amazing. I wish it have another story. You know what I mean? So you, you know, I always read them, but um, you can't take them too much to heart, I think. No, that's something that's really important and people need to understand is if somebody is having a bad day, like think about how you feel on a bad day and like something stupid happens, like the cup you just bought, you dropped it on the floor and it broke and you go and you write an angry review. Like reviews a lot of times go based off of how somebody is feeling in that moment. So well, that's like how they actually perceive the book, what they thought it was. See, some people go into, that's why I mentioned that cover which I'm glad you tweaked the cover and we'll have to cyber stalk you because yes. that cover says to me, steamy romance. Like, but there, that, is a, yeah, there is a lot of, it's a lot of, there is a lot of sex scenes, but I think, and again, this is why I think I've moved away from romance because I think to be a really good romance writer, I think you have to be a basically optimistic, um, happy person. And I'm not a optimistic, happy person. So, um, so it's all, it's always very dark, right? So there was, there was a lot of this happening for sure. There was a lot of this happening, but they weren't running off into the sunset, right? It was, it was, you know, it was, it was kind of dark. So, um, but you're right. I, so I, when you cyber stalk me at burnedatwalsh.com, you can see my new covers, but, but I ha happen to have this in my closet. So, no, I think it's great. I'm just, as, as a publisher, it's, I have this cover conversation and I hope people listening understand you can pick covers, but the problem is you have to look at what other people see. Covers generally for most people are electronic, mm -hmm. right? You can't get hardcover or paperback books. Yes. But especially in the pandemic, everything was electronic. So you get a little teeny mm -hmm. tiny thumbnail and people know what book covers for types of books they want to read in general look like they're not that they would consciously say yes I know what a cover looks like but it was funny I was sitting with a friend of mine who's a writer and she was scrolling through she has Kindle Unlimited I'm not a fan but she has Kindle Unlimited because she goes through a lot of books that are not great on there but because she's not paying for them I think CR also has Kindle Unlimited and goes through a lot of books that are I go through them. yeah yeah, that's a surprising amount of not great books. But she was looking, she was showing, I was showing covers for something. Cause I was like, these are what the covers need to look like taking screenshots. And um, she was like, Ooh, that looks like a book I would read. And I, the moment she said that, like there was not a truer statement ever as far as book covers, because people yes. see them even in, um, you know, even in stores and stuff, we gravitate because the cover grabs us and it, you know, you can tell when it's going to be a paranormal romance or a high fantasy book or whatever. Very rarely do I pick up a book and go and turn it over and go, oh, this is a thriller, but it's got a yellow cover with a little happy person walking away. And I'm like, either this blurb is wrong or this cover is wrong. And I'm not sure which it is, but I'm not purchasing that because somebody messed that whole entire thing up there, right? I will I'm say like, as somebody, like she said, that does a lot of Kindle Unlimited covers are the most like it has never been more true as it is nowadays do not judge a book by its cover because people will go out especially and I don't mean anything bad about you know self-published authors I get it like you you want this but I went the other day and like saw something I had a really cool clock on it it was falling apart you know it was super super nothing to do with the fucking book nothing to do with it ended up being a romance because I do cover roulette, which is a fun little thing I do where I just swipe down the, the, I go to the very end of Kindle Unlimited and I swipe and I pick a book. Be conscientious of your covers. Like it's, I think it's a very underrated part. Like people think, you know, you need something that's going to grab somebody's attention. But like, like she said, like they look at the cover and they assume what the book is about. If you choose a cover that has nothing to do with anything in your book, you're going to get a bad review or you're going to get somebody to toss your book. 
which is a huge thing right now. People fighting like Amazon unlimited things. Yeah. Or Kindle prices where they just like, nope, I didn't actually read that book. It's like, you definitely did, but then they can somehow return it. Just be careful. Like it's, you're selling something that you put so much time and effort in. Make sure your cover represents what you did. Right. Right. No, that is absolutely true. And, and I think one of the good things too um, about being self-published is you can change it, right? Like even this book, Johnny Be Good, which I think this cover actually does represent the genre pretty well. Like it's women's fiction. It's obviously about a family, but I was thinking, you know, probably about a year in, I was like, I really want something more about the relationship between her and her husband as opposed to her and her son. So in the electronic version, it was very easy. I, I just did a new cover. And so, um, so I have that out. So it's also like how you see, you can kind of test drive it, right? If you feel like, you know, people aren't really necessarily reacting to an element of the story, then you can try a new cover. Um, but, you know, obviously if you're with a publisher, they're not going to give you a cover every time you're a little unhappy. But um, as a publisher, that is very true. The other thing, though, is you you have to, um, if you're able to create covers, which it sounds like you taught yourself how to create covers. Yes. yes. Okay. I, pay, so I, do, I do both. I like these were actually, I paid for someone to do the covers. It was actually somebody I'd worked with at Lyrical Press. So um, I used her for, I, know I still use her for some um, some covers, but um, but sometimes if, you know, if I'm unhappy or I want to change it up, I do my own. And then, so I have a, a mixed bag. Yeah, and that, that's the other hindrance sometimes for self-published authors, though, is that if they don't know how to do it themselves, having to pay for a cover on top of a cover, because cover artists, I love them, but most generally don't go, hey, this is really not genre, whatever, because you're asking them, can you put a this and a this on a cover with a this, and that's what they go do. They go do what you requested them to do. It's knowing and looking and researching, and I love that you talked about having research, because I think that's a step a lot of people don't necessarily take is that anything you learn to do, period, you're a lawyer, you know, that sort of thing, you have to go educate yourself on it, whether it's a formal education, like being a lawyer requires you to do, or, you know, uh, I, I was very much in my field by uh, learning how from getting certifications and just educating myself constantly. And I think you have to do that. And don't expect that you, you don't need that underlying knowledge on a topic in order to accomplish that goal and it's even true with writing I tell people that all the time you could be some people are great out of the gate story tellers right and they can write but writing is is hard and writing takes work and writing takes a way to guide a person through a story and a way to tell a story i.e removing your summer internships to get the story told you could have left that in there self-published you could have been like i'm gonna do this some people might have been like i love this part and other people would have been like i get with some books where i'm like where do we get back to the story again and not like they're on this this tangent um what about well that's why i think it's really important that people continue to educate themselves like i'm you know um i used to be a member of uh, romance writers so um RWA, but I'm not a member anymore, but I joined like the Women's Fiction Association. I went away for a weekend and just did, you know, they had a writing conference and learned more there. You know, it's, you have to, and even like, even if you just get a little bit out of each class, like it's just more tools in your toolbox. And the same with, you know, writing covers, like well, I was looking at my website and I said, all these covers seem kind of like a mishmash because they were done at different times by different cover artists. So I actually just took them all down and I redid them with like consistent, um, you know, like the, the lettering and the colors so that they looked like the ones that were all women's fiction, they all had some similarities. They looked like a group, not that they were, you know, like orphan children who were thrown together. So, and again, I think I, think I picked that up from a, from a class that I took. I think it's great you said that because I talk about that all the time. Like when we're publishing, even if we're publishing um, a person's work and they have different stories, their name is going to be the same font on every single book because there's a, this is a, you know, Bernadette Walsh book. This is a C.R. Rice book. People will look and go, that's this book. Like mm -hmm. just by not even reading it, but seeing the cover, they go, this is this author's book and I think you know it's interesting it's little tricks that you've picked up which not a lot of people pick up all the time right 
And I see covers and they're gorgeous covers, but I'm like, you would never find all these together if you wanted a fan to continue to find you. And especially if there's time between when you're publishing of a magnitude, because, you know, people, romance readers, what do they read? Five to 10 books a week. So, mm -hmm. you know, after week one, you've lost them. So where are you at with them remembering and going, I know this cover, you know, I, I think that's a big deal. Okay, let's talk a little bit about fan interaction because you've been doing this for a while. So before the, the Rona decided to visit our entire universes, right? Um, you, um, did you do in-person events? How did that go? What was that like for you? Um, I did some in-person events. Again, I'm, I'm a member of a local group, uh, the Romance Writers, uh, Long Island Romance Writers, and then we connected with uh, the Long Island Writers Guild. So there's a couple of writing groups out here um, in the burbs. So we had a couple of um, in-person events, uh, libraries, um, you know, and I, I think it's kind of a mixed bag. It's funny, I, I did one library event and um, the guy next to me, so it was like all different genres. And so the guy next to me wrote uh, police procedurals. And my dad was like a police officer. So I was talking to him about like what precinct he was from and everything else. But um, so he had like all these like big husky guys buying his, buying his book. He's like, his books were like flying off the shelf. And I was like, they didn't, they didn't even look in my direction. I was like, I wish one of them would bring their wives. Like maybe she would like to read my book. Um, so, you know, like I did, I, I had a great time like connecting with another author and learning a little bit more about what they did. But, um, you know, so I've met some fun author friends. I think, um, you know, it's always nice to talk to people and to sell a few books, um, but I haven't, I think I'm gonna try and do a little bit more. And I think, again, my writers group, we're gonna try now that people are kind of, out and about, um, try to do some more events there. I think a lot of what I did was, I think I'd mentioned I was, um, in terms of promotion, I um, had a, a podcast for several years called uh, Nice Girls Reading Naughty Books. And um, again, that was great because I met a lot of other authors. Um, but I think that was also a good promotional tool. What happened to Nice Girls Reading Naughty Books? You know what? Um, I kind of, I lost the joy in it a little bit. I had probably done about like 90 podcasts, which is a lot. Um, but I think part of it too is like, I started that, that podcast when I was doing romance writing. And so it just kind of, you know, but given the title, right, I kind of had to keep with the romance. So I wasn't as passionate about romance because I wasn't really writing it anymore. And so um, I think, you know, I, and, and then just other, you know, at a certain point, you can only do so many things in your life. And so, um, so I, I let it go for a while. So I may, I may have, I mean, I really loved it. I love, I love to talk. So, I mean, part of the reason why I did the podcast was because um, you know, everyone, it was, it was when I had just um, was published and everyone was saying, well, you have to do, you have to be on Twitter, you have to do, you have to be on Facebook. And I was like, well, I'm not really a good tweeter. And, you know, I don't know that I'm doing the right, you know, presenting myself in a way like my tweets kind of seem like everyone else's tweets, but I know I can, can talk. So that's why I started the podcast. So I think maybe I will resurrect it um, in another, you know, form, maybe at some point. I think that's cool with somebody who's uh, upwards almost of 300 episodes now and not including when we did that we used to do this in person it was a ton of fun in person oh it really started, yeah it started as a book club called critical drinking and then the author showed up to the first book club and it was really weird we didn't invite them they just showed up so and then it happened again and we we're like okay well we'll just do this differently <laughs> but I think it's good because I think you know it's funny because we were talking about guests that can be interesting too, especially with the name of your podcast, that had to be really interesting seeing the difference between the writing the person's doing all hot, steamy, wonderfully, whatever, and then the person who was like plain. Yes, <laughs> there was a lot of this going on. It's funny. Um, I, you know, um, I would say my best, like, because most people, most writers have like a day job, right? So I would say my, some of my most successful um, interviewers were with um, teachers. They were by, because they're used to talking, right? They were used to like walking you through piece and piece. So usually teachers were great. Lawyers were either amazing or horrendous. There was like no in between. So I had one, it was terrible. Like I remember I had one um, lawyer 
who was who's on, who was um, on my podcast. And I used to give people like a list of questions ahead of time. You know, this is one like softball, right? Every she she acted like we were on trial, and I was like opposing counsel. And she would like be like, well, "Why are you asking me that?" I was like, "Oh, I don't know. It's on the list of questions I sent you." an hour before it was just horrible and finally like you, you could always tell like where I wasn't really having a good time because I would allow for an hour but some people were only 25 minutes and so it's and then there were other people too like where they were shy but again like their you know a publisher or whoever told them that they had to do some promotion and so they were kind of forcing themselves and they weren't comfortable you know because talking to strangers and, and having your voice be heard by strangers is not an easy thing. Um, so they didn't have, it's not that they weren't nice people, but it just wasn't their thing. So that maybe they should go to tweeting. Like they, I think for any like kind of promotion, you really have to find what brings you joy a little bit, you know, something that you enjoy that you're good at. Um, you can't really, if you force it, it's just not going to be great. And so that's kind of what happened with my podcast. Like the last few I was like, you know, I'm not finding the joy in this and that's going to come across. So I took a little break. No, it, it makes sense. Trust me. And we, as we discussed, we've had some episodes that were like, oh my God, what is <laughs> happening right now? But and, you know, having the shy, and I, I want to say this to anybody coming on a podcast too, is that some people are shy and you were specifically talking about very you know, behind closed door things, probably with the romance writing and stuff. So somebody who's a shy little librarian type that's writing about, you know, Edgar's torn off shirts and things like that. Now you're putting them on the spot to have to talk about it. <laughs> oh, no, uh, you know, I see that when I go <laughs> over to writers tables too at conventions and stuff. There are some that are just the most outspoken people and then there are some when you go to like book fairs and stuff like that and the romance writers and you're like oh what is your book about and they're like well you know it's a steamy romance and you the moment these kind of words come out of their mouth you go you are going to have a hard time talking about this book aren't you my little embarrassing <laughs> friend how naughty does it get like do you totally put them on the spot about like is it just behind the closed door do we get to see what happens under the sheets and they're like Red, 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 red. <laughs> and they're like, that's oh, very steamy. Voice changes octaves. <laughs> I think Bernadette's super right on that one because like when you if you are that type of person go on to podcast nobody can see you unless you're on drinking with others because we definitely have a YouTube channel but I mean if if you go to a podcast nobody knows who you are you can use your pen name you can do like a weird pitch to your voice you can do those fun things so it makes it different so like she said if if you're not if you don't want to be seen in person talking about it or anything like that go with that kind of thing don't force yourself because everybody can feel it yeah no for sure and I think too like I had some uh guests I had one woman who was actually uh somebody I knew through my writing group and she prepared for that interview like it was finals week right? Like she was, I, it was like, brrr, and it was, it was so, you could feel the tension, you know, through the lines. And I was, I was like, you really just need, it's a conversation, right? Like it's just a conversation and you have to just kind of relax. So yeah, no, I definitely had the gamut, but I think what was really cool about the podcast is because a lot of times, like I hadn't read the books and I didn't know the people, you know, a lot of people started reaching out to me. Um, and it was always kind of, you know, like it was like a box of chocolates, like you never knew what surprise you were going to get. And sometimes I had the most like amazing connections with people, you know, and like we would find as we we're talking, we had something in our, our backgrounds. Like I remember I had one author and her dad was from Haiti. And so she talked about the immigrant experience and my mother's from Ireland. Um, so again, I'm first generation. And, um, and that we, then we were talking about how that impacts our writing, right? Like a lot of her characters were Haitian, first generation Americans. And so we, you know, you would have thought like we really didn't have that much in common, but we actually had a ton in common. And so, you know, I had another person, they were from Brooklyn and I was born in Brooklyn. And then we just kind of went off there. And then other times I've had people where I go into it thinking, oh, wow, we're about the same age. We're both lawyers. Like we're going to have such a great, you know, connection. And it's like one of those 25 minute podcasts that we have to hang up because it just wasn't going anywhere. So it's, yeah, it's definitely not, 
not easy, uh, but, and it takes like a lot of emotion and a lot of organization too. So, um, you know, I, I, I definitely will pick it up again. I think just not right now. Well, you let us know when you do, because we'd love to have you back on again, also with your new book, because you're tons of fun. Yeah, I say that because I've worked with many lawyers and they're not always tons of fun. No, none like, of the most of them are not. I'm no, like anti-lawyer. I call them robot lawyers because a lot of them seem like robot lawyers. Like you're going to get this response or they're, they're going to do the pause thing. It's fun. Um, what, you know, I've. I did HR for many, many, many years. So work with people and sometimes humor is lost in that particular thing. I find that to be true with doctors too. I'm very fortunate to have some doctors that really get my humor. And then I'll, you know, quote movie lines to my doctors and they're like, what? I called one of them who's my ear doctor. I hope he's not listening, but he, he's got red hair. I call him Dr. Weasley and that's not his name. And um, <laughs> somehow during, after waking up from a surgery he did for me, I referred to him many times as Dr. Weasley. <laughs> I frustrated the crap out of him, but I was like, that was Harry Potter and I like it. Anyway, okay. Bernadette, shameless self-promotion time. Let's talk about your books, where to find you, all of that stuff. Well, you can find everything on my website, uh, BernadetteWalsh.com. I'm on, even though I'm not the best tweeter, I am on Twitter, um, B. Walsh Writer. Um, I'm also on Instagram, but all the, um, every, all of my, um, and actually I'm very based, I'm very active on my Facebook page, my Facebook page, my, so, you know, anything you, you go into my website, you can find wherever I am. Um, you know, as I said, I have about 12 books. Um, I'm, I have paranormal romance. I have a contemporary romance and then traditional women's fiction is probably the, my bread and butter. Cool. And what is the latest book? It's the book I was referring to before. Unfortunately, I don't have a hard copy of it with me. I've sold them all, but um, it's called Safe Distance. And I really, really love it. It's such a cool book. It's about, you know, again, two friends, kind of frenemies whose lives just keep intersecting. Their, their kids are friends, the, the husbands are friends, and they are both kind of polar opposites. And they both kind of envy the other one because they have kind of what they don't have. And then their lives really kind of, collide and on top of it they're in the middle of a pandemic so they have all that going on so it's a really really cool book again i'm hit i i deal with some pretty difficult topics um but um again uh there's you can get a, a um uh you can see the cover on my website and, a, and an excerpt as well and if anyone's interested in you know a free book i always like to give it away so if you send me um if you go on my website and send me an, uh, a message, I'd be more than happy to send one through. Wonderful, especially if they subscribe to your newsletter, right? Yes, if they subscribe to my newsletter, that's how you get it. So yes, anyway. Yes, yes, shameless self-promotion. Bernadette, you have been fabulous to have on the show. Thank you so much for being here with us. Oh, no, it's been a great, it's been a pleasure. Awesome, awesome. Okay, guys, this has been Drinking with Authors. I've been your host, Erica Lance. Our sponsor today has been Skunk Brothers Spirits. I have to say it slowly. I did it again yesterday, by the way. Chalice on a call. Yeah, you'd be very happy. Replace skunk with another word. It's terrible. But DWA10 <laughs> is the coupon code that you can use. My co-host has been C.R. Rice, and our guest has been Bernadette Walsh. And we will see you guys next time. Bye-bye. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.